like the array of issues that small businesses face and disputes. There are so many issues of first impression, and I just love learning and writing and educating the court about the issues. I'm always in a position where I want to know all the facts. We don't want to walk in there and something surprise us. There's a case that came out yesterday. We want to know about it. Just staying up on the legal trends. Education is a huge part of preparation, being prepared about any potential way that this could go and playing out different scenarios. I like the idea of being able to take whatever facts that seem just all over the place and being able to help that person and frame their issue and make it persuasive to someone else. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead, a podcast that challenges the notion that the law lags behind. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Each week, I invite a lawyer who's making powerful changes through extraordinary leadership. In each episode, we'll travel through another lawyer's life, identify what they do best, and then devise how to apply these concepts to your own world. So let's get to it. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Our guest today represents individuals and small businesses throughout Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. She's been recognized as a super lawyer rising star from 2013 to 2022, and is a lecturer on commercial litigation issues throughout the U.S., including with us here at Lawline. She's also the founder of Vegetable Forward, an organization that educates nonprofits on planning, growing, and cultivating community gardens to promote positive nutrition values for children. Please welcome our next lawyer who leads, Margot Thomas. Margot, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Margo, you may or may not know this, but before I start any of these interviews, I like to get a little slice of life from each of the guests, a little bit of gratitude. What is your favorite moment so far today? So in true lawyer fashion, it's probably twofold. (laughs) In my personal life, just being able to have breakfast with my kids and get them off to their camps and start their day on a good foot. Nutrition is like a huge part of our lifestyle here. So just having a good breakfast helps you attack your day and helps them be able to think through whatever's going on at camp and have fun and just function well. The other part, I just had a call before this and I have a mentor who I met just randomly through a friend when I started this firm six years ago. And every question I had, he has referred someone and helped me opened a door, pushed me in the right direction. He referred me to a social media marketing person who I just got off the phone with. And the guy said to me, your mentor has spoken the world of you. And I just want to help you in any way that I can get to the next level and accomplish the goals that you're set out for. I didn't even know that he had spoken to the social media person before I got on the call today. He had just given me his name. But just hearing that and just being a small business and other small business owners who just help you out and everything, it's just like an amazing feeling. That's so wonderful. And how did you meet this mentor? Just through a friend. He was like, you should call him. He's been a great resource. And he just said, reach out to him. And over the years, I just kept in touch and followed up. And he's always been there and always taken my call and always found time. His firm, you know, is huge at this point. And he's probably doing very little practice of law, but he's always made time. And I really appreciate that. What a great gratitude for the morning. I love it. Also, I have to ask, what does a good breakfast look like for you and your family in the morning? (laughs) It's definitely, um, you know, eggs and protein and fruits. I must say, some days I definitely feel like a short order cook for my children. (laughs) They come down and they're like, I'd like crepes today and I'd like pancakes and I'd like bacon. And it just list goes on and on. They are definitely expanding in their, you know, the foods that they like. We do a lot of gardening, so they try a lot of the food that we grow. So it's expanding and getting more complex. And I am no chef by any means. So it keeps me on my toes. 
you are someone that I'm really aspiring to be. My kids get mostly egg and cheese sandwiches or oatmeal in the morning, but I want to be able to cook more for them. So I think it's awesome that you do that. And I love that short order chef. So I want to go into, did you always want to be a lawyer? I didn't. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but my dad was a teacher and education was a huge part of our childhood. I was a child that went to summer school every year. He was like, summer break, everybody forgets everything. <laughs> you won't be that child. So um, he was the first person in his family to go to college. And he was definitely like, you're going to be a lawyer or doctor, just choose one, because those are the two things that he thought were the definition of success. So I was talking to him and I was like, I want to go to the Peace Corps. And he was just like, get an advanced degree and then make a decision about that. But he definitely pushed me in one of those directions. And I felt like the law field was a lot more obtainable given my lack of math skills. So it kind of was something I was pushed towards, but something I really grew to love and still love. What did you do in undergrad? International relations. I was definitely thinking foreign service or Peace Corps, and I thought international relations would open up the doors to that. So when you went into law school, did you have a certain set of ideas of what you wanted to get into? I really wanted to do criminal law. I wanted to try cases. I wanted to be in court. That's like the most common lawyer that we see on TV. I had a really influential criminal law teacher and I did really well and I really liked it. I got a few opportunities to apply to prosecutor offices and I got a few job offers at the end of law school to do that. And I happened to get another job offer doing business litigation at a bigger firm. And I went that direction and thought maybe one day I'll come back to criminal law. I had a ton of loans and it was more money than I had ever considered so I was like, I just can't turn this down. It's a great opportunity. It's a prestigious firm. And I never looked back. I really liked the business litigation, but it certainly wasn't what I went to law school to do. Yeah, I mean, I totally hear you on the school loans. It's an important factor when you're considering where you're going to work. But I love that you ended up going in that direction and loving what you do. What was it about those years at the firm and representing businesses that was interesting for you? I like the array of issues that small businesses face and disputes. and just the depth of those issues. There are so many issues of first impression, and I just love learning and writing about those issues and educating the court about the issues. I was just surrounded by so many lawyers that were exceptional writers and really good advocates for their client. And I just love the idea that somebody could come to us with a problem and we could frame it better than that person could themselves who was going through the problem. That kind of always stuck with me. I like the idea of being able to take whatever facts that seem just all over the place and people come in with all of these miscellaneous, most of it is not even relevant to the real legal issue and being able to help that person and frame their issue and make it persuasive to someone else. I love that so much and I'll tell you why. First of all, I think it's one of the most important things that lawyers can do, right? People have problems. They come to lawyers because they're not sure how to approach this problem. They're also not sure always what the problem actually is and how to articulate it. And so I think that's such an important role for lawyers. But I also liked what you said, which was you take it all together and you frame it and then educate the court. Tell me, what does it look like to educate the court? Like, how do you frame it in a way that helps your client? So I'm usually on the defense end. And when I was working at bigger law firms, we were representing banks and mortgage companies and we were defending them against various consumer claims. So my background comes from defense. And I always thought about it as like a play. And the plaintiff was putting on the actors and setting up the stage for this performance. And then the defense attorney is like the critique. <laughs> like we're sitting there critiquing the performance. Like these actors don't work well together and that doesn't even seem believable. And 
why would that be there on the set? That doesn't look like what a real beach would look like. And my role as an attorney, like I get this complaint that somebody has sent to this small business owner, usually out of the blue or blindsided with, and I'm looking at the play that this other person has put together and they're trying to convince somebody that this is what happened. And I'm poking holes in that theory. What a fantastic way to explain how a trial could go and how a case can go. I've never heard that before in my entire <laughs> life. What a beautiful thing to look at it as a play. Like the plaintiff presents the actors, the plaintiff presents the the storyline. And then as the defense, you're the critique. Yeah. Yeah. Do you share that with other people in that way? I'm not sure I have. I've always thought about it like that, but no. I don't think so. That should be your book. I mean, seriously, like the law is a play. <laughs> yeah, it is a good analogy for what we do. For sure. You know, you said that your dad was an educator. How much of his influence in education do you think informs the way that you practice law? He was a huge influence on my life and my practice, for sure. He was a big sports fanatic. He played sports his whole life. We played sports our whole life, me and my brother. So just the whole preparation for sports is very similar to that educational component. I think that I'm always in a position where we want to know all the facts. We don't want to walk in there and something surprise us. There's a case that came out yesterday. We want to know about it. Just staying up on the legal trends. Education is a huge part of preparation. So a lot of that is being prepared and educating yourself about any potential way that this could go and just playing out different scenarios. I love it. Okay, so you're at this firm, you're getting all of this experience, you're enjoying the work. What happens next? I changed firms. I was at the first firm that I went to for about six years and I had an opportunity to go to a firm where one of the managing partners who had hired me at the first firm I went to had went across the street to the other firm. So I decided to leave. And it was huge because I felt like I had reached a level of comfort and I had proven myself in some respect and I was starting all anew. It was a very anxiety producing decision, but I thought it was like the next step. And in that year, like my whole life changed. My dad passed away that July, right before I took the offer and started the job. And then we were moving houses. So we were in this limbo of not having a house and living in temporary housing. And then I got pregnant with twins and I had a really difficult pregnancy and was in the hospital when I found out I was pregnant with twins and stayed there for a significant amount of time. And then when I was released, I went on bed rest. And it was crazy because I had just started working at this firm. They didn't know me at all. They'd only heard about me. And I think I worked there maybe a month. And then the rest of it was dealing with this really high risk pregnancy and that experience. And my dad passing away and moving and all of that just had me, I had a lot of time being on bed rest to think about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to practice. And the experience just really shaped a lot of my decisions going forward. Wow. Every single one of the things you just mentioned in and of itself is a tough thing to go through. And then to go through all of those things at once sounds very overwhelming. Um, first and foremost, I just want to say I'm sorry about your father. He sounded like such a great man. Thank you so much. How did you deal with the anxiety-provoking part of starting a new job and then having all of these things happen to you? And what were some of the things that you were thinking about that led you to a change? So I just think that anybody who goes through like a traumatic experience, you start thinking about how much time do I have left? My dad died at 64, which the older I get, the younger that seems. And 
I just definitely was like, I want to leave here having done something I really love to do and doing it the way that I want to do it. So I knew that I loved working in the legal field. I loved being a lawyer, but I just definitely felt like I had reached a point of comfort and I knew that there was something else out there. I really had always played around with the idea of starting my own firm, but I was always scared because I didn't have a book of business and everybody will say, how are you going to do that? And I never had time to develop a book of business, especially after I had twins and all I thought about was meeting billable hours. So that experience just had me thinking, maybe if I just jump out there, it will all come into place and it'll figure itself out and I'll just have some faith that this will work out. Just going through that experience with my dad and the moving and the firm that really believed in me. You know, I was out for months and had done barely any work and they paid me and never questioned when I was coming back or never put any pressure on me and just knew that once I got through this difficult experience that I would be who they hired, who they had invested in. And that happened. I worked there for many years. I met a lot of great people. But at some point, I always had this voice that I couldn't quiet that was like, you need to start something on your own and you need to step out there on your own. And these pieces will come together. My husband was a huge factor in pushing me to do that. And one of my clients left with me, but also continued to work with the firm because I was so involved in their case for so long. And that made my entire first year. And I had no idea that they were going to leave. I didn't even ask them to leave. That was not my business plan. I was like, I'm somehow going to call everybody I know and get some new cases. But that gave me like a soft landing into starting my own firm. So I was working at my living room table with two-year-old twins and it just kind of all came together. I always find it so inspiring when through adversity, people create something out of it. That's really good for them. That ends up being kind of their dream. And that seems to have happened for you. And also, what a wonderful thing to have a firm that, you know, even though you were so new, support you so strongly and then embrace you afterwards for so many years to come. I try to implement that now in my own firm because people go through things and people have a lot going on outside of work that influences their ability to work productively. And I just try to be mindful of that and open to that and give people the spaces they need to deal with those issues and problems as they arise. So they definitely taught me a lot about that. And I think I was putting more pressure on myself than they were. I definitely was like, they're going to fire me. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. But they sent flowers and cookies and balloons and said, take as much time as you need. And it ended up working out really well. What a model for other firms, truly. And I agree with you. I think it's so important to be there for people, for your employees when times get tough, right? When they need to deal with things. Because... They'll do the same for you if your business is getting tough, right? And you need them to do things and step up. I mean, businesses have their ups and downs just like people's lives. And if you want people to be dedicated and loyal to your organization and your goals, you have to be equally dedicated to them. And it seems like you've really embraced that. I certainly have tried to. I mean, it's not easy, right? But it's super important for a healthy organization. Yes, I agree. So I really liked when you said that that one client really gave you that soft landing. Why do you think they left with you? They knew that I knew more about their case than anybody else that worked at the firm. And they wanted the big firm name and the resources, but they knew that if the case was going to go to trial, that I should be there trying the case. And I appreciated that because I felt that way, but I, I wasn't sure that they would. And they could have replaced me and they were planning to replace me until the client said, no, I don't want a replacement. And the big firm I left had a lot of resources. They definitely could have eaten the cost of bringing somebody up to speed. And, 
you know, the client really had the power in that situation. And the client was a small business owner themselves and they had become very successful. But I think that they could see a lot of themselves in me. It was a family owned business and I still keep in touch with them. I mean, they were a huge part of the success of my firm. I'm very grateful to them for that decision. What do you think it is about your ability to nurture a relationship like this and other relationships, I'm assuming, moving forward that creates like a strong bond between you and the client? A lot of listening, understanding people's motivations and a lot of what's going on in the background. Just digging deeper into people's motivations is a lot of it. Asking a lot of questions, being present. People always say that the number one complaint that they have about lawyers is that they can't get in touch with them <laughs> and they're not yes. accessible. So that was one of the things that I really wanted to make a priority when I started my own firm is we have to take less cases or cap this at some point to make sure that we can provide the type of quality representation to the clients that we have. We can't be a shop that just takes everybody and is so overwhelmed that we can't manage this. So we're very strategic about the clients that we work with and how many there are and making sure that we're present and know what's going on and engaged with those clients. Because I think about it in my own life, we're hiring people that we want to give money to and they treat us so badly. Service professionals. And I'm just always in awe, like, how is it that I'm paying you to do your strength or whatever small business you started and you treat the customers as if they're bothering you. I just, I didn't want to have our clients experience that. I also am in awe sometimes with either a product or a service in which they should just be doing what they're doing. And yeah, being treated as if we're bothering them or we're frustrating them. This is totally based on like my own experiences, but I sometimes think that it is the differentiator that no one is focusing on. Well, clearly you are, but like not everyone's focusing on, which is like just good customer service. <laughs> It's something that seems to be dying in so many different places and yet is like one of the needs that every person in a customer position is looking for. And everyone's trying to automate it with chatbots and with AI driven type of stuff, which is great, but it can only get you so far in feeling like you're valued. Yes. And I think it's exactly what you said, just feeling valued, like they care. That's it. You know, I don't need to be your only client. I know I'm not your only client, but if you could just give me a little bit of sense that you care about the fact that I'm paying you for this service, it makes me feel better. To have somebody I can communicate who knows something about my case or whatever it is I hired you to do versus somebody who's just answering the phone and it's just a body just makes me feel good at the end of the day. So that is the experience that I'm trying to emulate for our clients. All the yes, Margot. So talk to me about your team. So I'm sad to say I have a paralegal who just left for law school and she wrote me the most tearjerker resignation letter that talked about how this experience had shaped her desire to go to law school and be a lawyer. She has such big shoes to fill, but I'm so proud of all of her accomplishments and all that she's going to do. We have a new team member and I think she's just going to be amazing as well. We put a lot of time into filling these shoes because there's a lot of traits that I'm looking for. Not so much experience, but, you know, just being a good communicator and having empathy and being able to, like I said, value our clients and communicate that to them. Another attorney that I worked with who was the managing attorney at one of the first firms I worked at, I work with him now when I started my own firm. He was the first person I called and he has been a great supporter of everything that I've been trying to do. So it's great to be able to reconnect and practice together again. 
I have a law clerk who is writing a book about women's suffrage, which is going to be amazing. We're just trying to grow the team and bring on new people that share the same values. Communication and empathy, two really important things to have when you're dealing with clients. Yes, and very hard to find <laughs> in building the team. How do you look for that in your hiring process? So I actually hired a recruiter. I felt like nobody taught me this. I didn't go to business school. They don't teach this in law school. I was a terrible interviewer. You know, somebody would say something that I connected with and I would just throw everything to the wind and be like, come on in. And then I'd be like, this isn't the same person. Like, it just was a terrible way of going. They say that though, people hire people that they like, but that's not always the best way to hire people. So I hired a recruiter who really taught me the process of hiring and the questions to ask and what to listen for and cues and red flags. And I just watched her work. She was really good at what she did. I just watched her screen people and interview people and check references and all of that. And I can't say I probably do it a quarter as great as she does, but just learning the process really helped me because I had never owned a business. I'd never had to hire somebody when I was working for a firm. I never had to fire anybody. These are all skills that I don't think law school even touches on. No. And they're really crucial to being able to run a successful business because your team is, is really your support network. A lot of times have more communications with the client than you do. So Having someone you can really rely upon and finding those people is just super difficult. I struggled with at the beginning and I made a lot of bad hires that didn't work out and it cost me a lot of money and time and training and was very defeating. So just learning from someone who is in that world has been really helpful. I think there's so much wisdom in saying, I need to find someone that knows how to do this <laughs> and outsource this, right? I need to focus on X and then I need to outsource Y. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And also, it seems as though this person that you hired was very open to helping you understand and educate you on those things as well to help you learn throughout the way. Yes. And I think that's really rare because most recruiters, they just take a percentage. They find you someone, you hire them, they replace them if it doesn't work out. But this particular recruiter works on an hourly basis and helps you throughout whatever step of the process you need. And I assume she does this with everyone, but she definitely was like, giving me pointers and suggestions and saying, look, I'll hold your hand. I'll help you. Whatever capacity you need my help, I'll provide it. And that was more helpful than me just giving it to a third party and saying, bring me somebody. I think she had a really good understanding of what I was looking for and was able to help me identify that, which I think was a huge component. Yeah. It's like a consultant when you need it. Yes, for sure. Again, you have so many insights here, like another differentiator, right? When giving service-based businesses, like you can have the one person that's just like, let me do it and then provide you that service very specifically and narrowly. And then there's the people that are like, let me go the extra step and empower you to be able to do these things too, if you so choose. Yeah. What I liked about her is she gave you the option. She's like, I can do it all on my own. I can do it with you. And I have referred her to so many people and said, she is a game changer. Like whatever it is you need, she will customize it to help you wherever you are. And I really appreciated that about the experience. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to get into some rapid fire questions. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. What does leadership in law mean to you? So I'm learning the principles of quiet leadership. And I'm really at the beginning of that process, but giving people the space to solve problems, communicate their creative process, and come up with solutions versus telling people the answer. I certainly started out as one, like, this is the way that I would like it done. And converting to just listening and 
having some restraint when people come to you with questions and letting them work through the process comes up with solutions that I never would have come up with that I think are very valuable. So just the principles of being quiet and giving people space and allowing them to come to conclusions. What are some of the questions that you ask so that you're not just telling them what to do? Let's say they come to you with a problem. What are some questions that you ask so that they can come up with the solution on their own? It's funny you ask that because I have a list of questions that I tape to my monitor. <laughs> so that That's I'm awesome. Prepared when they come with a question. And the number one, the one that I like the most is on a scale of one to 10, how confident are you that you have all the information you need to act on this. And a lot of the time the answer is I have the information. I just want to talk it out or they can't come to the conclusion. They have everything that they need. That's one of them. Another one is what are your main insights about this issue? And what do you think success looks like? Just lots of questions to get them to explore whatever the issue is deeper and try to come up with a solution. Do you prepare people in advance? Like, listen, I'm doing this quiet leadership thing. Absolutely. I think it's good to ask permission and say, look, I just want to dig deeper into that. I have a few questions. Are you open to answering some questions about that? Why do they call it quiet leadership? I think it just requires restraint and being quiet and letting the other person talk, becoming a good listener versus providing all the solutions. If there was one thing you could change about the legal industry, what would it be? I would definitely, hands down, without a doubt, add some type of diversity and inclusion or unconscious bias training to the CLE requirements for every lawyer, every year. I mean, we have an ethics requirement in Virginia, but ethics is such a broad category. I mean, it could be just the model rules and has nothing to do with these issues, which I think play a part in every relationship that we have, specifically lawyers and dealing with other lawyers and dealing with our clients and dealing with the court. There's unconscious bias that we all have that we don't think about and don't learn about. There's no class in law school about it. And then we're just given a law degree, go out into the world. And I think that I personally have been in a lot of situations where people have made comments, microaggressions, not intentional, and have been excluded from things, not intentionally. And I just think that having better training on those issues should be a requirement for every lawyer who practices law. Yes. In New York, they do have a requirement like that. And California also has a similar requirement like that. And I know just because I'm in the CLE world that there are constant conversations in the Association for Continuing Legal Education, as well as a lot of the providers, speakers, everyone that's really in that industry about how important these issues are. And to your point, I hope that other states follow suit. I didn't even know that they had that in certain states. Oh, uh, yeah. But I know that it's not a part of the CLE requirements here where I am. And I certainly should be. So I do hope they follow suit. What is something people misunderstand about the work that you do? I think that a lot of my colleagues, we call ourselves trial lawyers, and a lot of our job is outside of trial. A majority of it is. I think that's a misperception just in the name itself. I attend way more mediations. I do way more consulting and developing strategies and brief writing and motions hearings than I ever do trials for my specific area of law, which is business litigation. And I think that's true for a lot of business litigators. A lot of businesses don't want to go to trial if it can be avoided. I think there's a small minority of cases that actually do go to trial. Yet most of the business litigators' websites say trial lawyer in the first, you know, that's the description of them. But I think that we're a lot more than that. And I think that's a really small part of what we do. You know, I never thought about this before, but you're so right that so many websites say trial lawyer. 
And I almost feel like that sets up a client expectation, too, if they have a problem that it, the case is going to go to trial because they walk in, I'm, oh, I'm hiring a trial lawyer. And what an interesting thing to, like you were saying earlier, this idea of reframing, to reframe the work that you do and reframe the name of the type of lawyer that you are. I agree. I don't think a lot of people want to go to trial. So yeah. it's like. I'm hiring this person to do something that I really don't want to do anyway. A lot of my clients want the outcome that they want, but if it could be done quietly and it's not on the front page news and there's a confidentiality clause and they can go their separate ways, that's usually what they're looking for. Not some public forum to air their grievances. I mean, they may start out like that, but once they're in the legal process, they realize that this takes a lot of time and energy away from running their business. And most of them want to reach a resolution as efficiently cost-effectively as possible. What is a piece of practical advice for our listeners? These are leaders and future leaders in law who are looking to follow your lead. I think that's a great question. I would say just follow that inner voice. I definitely tried to quiet that voice for many, many years. And I allowed other people around me to define what success in the law looked like. And at the time, being at a law firm and becoming a partner was like, prestigious and you made good money and you could support your family. And that's what people pushed lawyers to do. But the law degree has so many different avenues. And I've heard so many people on your podcast talk about different roads and uncharted territories that I think that it's important to listen to that and not let other people define what that looks like for you. Wise words. Who is someone who really shaped your journey in life? I think it all goes back to my father again. He was definitely the person that was there for me when I, I didn't know what to do and had sound advice and was very encouraging, was always in my corner. And it's crazy because at his funeral, there were so many people. There was standing room only of people who had the same experience that I did. I didn't even know that he had touched so many. I mean, he was an educator to thousands of children over his career, but to hear other people tell the same story that I had and not even knowing them is just, it was really moving to me. So he definitely hands down was that person for me. And hopefully I'll be able to instill some of those traits in my own children and be there for them the way he was for me. Well, hearing how you speak today, I'm sure you already are. Um, do you mind me asking his name? Larry Witherspoon. To Larry Witherspoon. Final question. What do you do for self-care? So when the pandemic happened, I realized I didn't have very many hobbies or anything that I was doing for self-care. And I got into gardening a lot. I never had time for it before, or at least I thought I never had time for it. It requires a lot of being out there and watering, but I happened to be at home and my kids were at home. It was something that we could do together. So starting a garden and tending to it just kind of fed into my kids' nutrition, which is something that I was always interested in. Being out in my garden, it gives me a time to not think about work. Like, I only think about the task at hand, which frees me because most of my day, like I wake up and I'm thinking about work, I'm in the shower thinking about work and just finding something that allows you to not think about what's going on in work has been really beneficial to me. Yeah, it's this idea of presence, right? Like really being present in that moment and gardening seems to give that to you. Yes. Which actually made me realize I forgot to ask you, you're also the founder of Vegetable Forward. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so we just started. It's very new and it all tied into the concept of childhood nutrition. I had been given a lot of seminars on that to 
different organizations I was a part of. And then when my kids became school age and my daughter's in preschool, they wanted to start gardens at the schools and teach the kids to garden. And I was like, that's a great cause. And how can I support that? So I just created a company to assist with that, whether it's educating kids about growing things and cooking the food and how to start the process and getting schools to, you know, they're just kind of overwhelmed with all the resources and where to start and what to get and what they need and where they get it from. And there's just a lot of organizations that give seeds to schools and will help you with that. So I just try to be an intermediary and help the schools develop that program because I think it is super important for kids to know where their food comes from. It plays a part in them becoming better eaters and having good nutrition values. Why is nutrition so important to you? I'm not sure why. <laughs> That's a good question. But I became a vegetarian when I was eight. I guess when I was a kid, I was like, why are we eating all these animals? And I just felt very strongly about that at a young age. And my parents supported me in that, even though they are huge meat eaters. My husband eats meat. My kids do. I don't force that on anybody else. But I, I don't know. It's always been something that I was interested in, what we're putting in our body, the chemicals that they put in the food that we eat. And how that affects our ability to function has just always been something I was interested in, even at a young age. Love the name, Vegetable Forward. Did you come up with that? I did. And somebody told me it was unapproachable. So really? I, thought, I love it. Because yeah. it has a double meaning, right? You could be vegetable forward in your eating, but you can also want to like move forward like a vegetable concept. So I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was really cool. Well, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> I like it too. <laughs> Thank you, Margo, so much for being here today, for sharing your journey, for sharing your philosophies, sharing your approach. If someone wanted to connect with you, what is the best way that they can do that? Email mthomas at thomaslawplc.com. Thank you so much, Margo. I really appreciate you being on the show and we'll talk soon. Yes, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, leaders and future leaders, for listening today. We have a new guest every week, so don't forget to join us next week. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe or follow us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also follow at Lawyers Who Lead on social. Let's celebrate and continue to build a community of leaders in law together. Lawyers Who Lead is made possible by Lawline, the leading online platform for lawyers who want engaging, relevant CLE and professional growth content. For over 20 years, Lawline has helped hundreds of thousands of attorneys level up by providing award-winning courses in hard-to-find areas and high-demand fields. They have so many courses to choose from that are actually really interesting to listen to and watch. That's why Lawline's rated the highest in the industry with almost five stars and over a thousand verified reviews on Trustpilot. Lawyers who lead listeners get $100 off Lawline's unlimited annual subscription, which means you can take as many courses as you want for a really good price. Just visit lawline.com slash podcast to get the special offer. Check out Lawline for the best content for leaders and future leaders in legal.